came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Here's Sunday morning. One great show for you today. We have General John Tykert. Talk about Space Force. Uh, we have Representative Kat Comac. What's going on in Washington? Steve Forbes, what's going on with the economy? Dr. Peter Mihalos on living longer and what we should be doing. Mario Economo on what's going on in Europe. And to start off with, our senator from Alaska, Dan Sullivan, what the heck is going on with energy? With us today is United States Senator Dan Sullivan from Alaska. It must be good weather this time of year, isn't it, uh, Senator? Hey, John, it's great. We'd love to have you come back to Alaska. We've had a, we've actually had a pretty cool summer, one of our lowest levels of forest fires ever recorded. So, yeah, we're having a cool summer in Alaska. But, hey, it's great to be back on the program. Well, thank you. And, by the way, in the Wall Street Journal last week, there was articles that uh, you're having a little bit to do with uh, Canada and uh, with Prime Minister Trudeau. Would you tell us about it? Yeah, there was a Wall Street Journal editorial last week that I fully agreed with, and the title was, Canada is a military free rider in NATO. And look, it's true. I hate to say it because I'm a fan of the Canadians. You know, they're our only neighbor in Alaska, if you don't include Russia. But with regard to the NATO member agreed-upon requirement to hit 2% of gross domestic product on defense. That's the requirement in NATO. Canada is one of the biggest laggards, not even close, a, a little bit above 1.3%. And the prime minister has been heard to say that he's never going to hit it. As a matter of fact, I was at the NATO summit last week, John, in Lithuania, and one of the undercurrents of that meeting when we met with other world leaders was it how the Canadians were trying to dodge their 2% obligation? You know, they've always been a good ally. They were very heroic in World War II. We talk a lot about Normandy in America. The Canadians landed on Juneau Beach and did an incredible, an incredible job. But right now, they're not doing a good job with regard to their obligations in NATO. And yesterday, or two days ago in a confirmation hearing, for the NORTHCOM commander, so this is the NORAD commander, who's going to be a four-star general, charge of protecting all of North America. I pressed him on this, and I said, General, if you get confirmed, this is in his confirmation hearing, will you press the Canadians on spending their obligation of 2%? And he said, absolutely, I will, Senator. Now, this made huge news in Canada, and the prime minister has been pressed by his media. And as a matter of fact, after this interview, I'm going to go on, I think, what's Canada's version of, like, meet the press. And they're going to ask me about it, and I'm going to give them this tough love. they got to step up and meet their obligations. A hundred percent. How is oil production up in, uh, Canada, up in Alaska in that area? 
You know, we're still right around a little bit, a little bit around 500,000 barrels a day. The Biden administration on so many resource development issues has been horrendous, right? As you and I have talked about many times nationally, they came out on day one, suspended any movement on ANWR, which we got done during President Trump's administration, killed pipelines like Keystone, uh, went to Wall Street, told the big banks not to finance oil and gas projects. So they've been a disaster. But as you know, we did have one victory. It was kind of a mini miracle where we where we got them to reapprove because the Trump administration approved this project in Alaska called the Willow Project. Starting to build that right now. That's going to be peak production, about 200,000 barrels a day just from that one field. You know, Alaska, John, we still have so much oil and gas for America. It's unbelievable. We got another state production project. This is on state land called the Pitka Project. That'll be max production of about 80,000 barrels a day. So there's a renaissance in Alaska. So all you uh, oil and gas and New York investors listen to John's great show. Come on up, invest in the great state of Alaska. We are very supportive of the energy sector. It's great for our Alaskans. It's great for America. It's great for our workers. It's great for our energy independence. And it's also great for the environment. As you and I have talked about, John, we have the highest environmental standards in the world in Alaska. I used to be in charge of them. And when I was the commissioner of natural resources and energy, if you need energy, which we do, why wouldn't you produce it in your own country, ours, that puts our great workers to work and has the highest environmental standards as opposed to getting it from like Venezuela or some other terrorist regime. You're 100 percent right. I understand the Alaska pipeline at one time was bringing in as much as 2.2 million barrels a day down to the 48 states. And and uh, you've been restricted a lot in the last few years. Yeah. Can you believe that? 2.2 million barrels a day at one point. You know, that was 25 percent of American production. You know, the other thing that's such a that's such a hypocrisy of this administration, Deb Holland, the secretary of interior, she tries to shut down every project in Alaska that has federal lands. But New Mexico, New Mexico is getting all the federal leases on federal lands. Oh, think about it. Wait, where's Deb Holland from? Oh, my gosh. From New Mexico. Where's the reporter's? writing that story she shuts down all the republican states but her home state is now the number two producer of oil and gas it's unbelievable the media will never write that story deb could you imagine john well we'll report it we will report it had done that unbelievable now you're you're very much involved with armed services and you're very much concerned that uh, we're not putting enough money in the budget for our armed forces What, what do you want to tell americans about that well look the Biden administration, we're in a dangerous period. There's just no doubt. Nobody disagrees with that. We're in one of the most dangerous periods since any time since World War II. Look at the authoritarian dictators on the move. Putin, of course, but even more dangerous, in my view, is Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. So we have to get serious about another dangerous period. We know what we need to do as Americans. we faced off dictators before. But one of the things we have to do is have a professional strong, lethal military. Everybody normally agrees with that, except the Biden administration. You know, I'm on the floor right now debating in the U.S. Senate what's called the National Defense Authorization Act. The Biden administration 
three years in a row, John, has put forward defense budget cuts, inflation-adjusted cuts. The leaders of the Democratic Party, Bernie Sanders just had an amendment on the floor. It got defeated, but a lot of Democrats voted for it, was for an additional 10% cut to the U.S. military. These guys don't care about national defense. Next year, the Biden budget will fall below 3% of GDP in terms of spending. We've only hit 3% of GDP in America a few times in the last 70 years. So this current budget shrinks the Army, shrinks the Navy, shrinks the Marine Corps. That is exactly what Xi Jinping and the dictators in Beijing want to see. So we're trying to push back on that. And the other thing we're trying to push back on is a Pentagon led by civilians who care more about things that have nothing to do with lethality and war fighting is their priorities. Let me give you one example. The Secretary of the Navy, literally, and this is not an exaggeration, is concerned more about climate change than shipbuilding. He got the Senate a year and a half ago, his climate action plan, which, by the way, is not required by law. He sent it to us anyways. But his 30-year shipbuilding plan, which is required by law, we just got it a couple months ago. And it's a dismal shipbuilding plan. So they prioritize climate change in not warfighting and shipbuilding in the U.S. Navy going in the wrong direction. The legislation we have here, we're trying to write the course for our Pentagon, but it's a struggle when the commander-in-chief doesn't seem to really care. Wow. Senator, what else would you like to tell the American people this Sunday morning? Well, John, it's always great to be on the program, and I will tell you this. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know we have a lot of challenges, but what I always like to remind people, I'm, I'm still, uh, still serving in the Marines. I'm a colonel in the Marine Reserves. I serve out at the Indo- Pacific Marine Forces Pacific Command, and going on 30 years, going to retire here soon. But I will tell people this, despite the challenges, despite some of this woke stuff, we still have the greatest military, the most outstanding young men and women who join, who sacrifice. And I think that's the message I want to leave everybody. I see him like up close and personal as a Marine colonel. And every American should be proud of these young men and women who are doing their best for our country. We just need to make sure they're resourced to do their job, and that is a frustration of mine. Well, Senator Dan Sullivan, thank you so much for everything you do for our country. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you so much. God bless, John. Thanks again. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. What is today's General John Teichert? And he was the Brigadier General running Space Force. Good morning, General Teichert. And otherwise known, I heard your nickname was Dragon. It is. And John, it's great to be with you again. And I didn't run the Space Force, but I did run the International Affairs Program for the Space Force. So you knew most of the things going on. And and we haven't talked in at least a month uh, or two. And so many things have been happening, especially in Washington, talking about UFOs and talking about, you know, one of our favorite subjects. Uh, And I just want to get an update on your thoughts because you're a common sense guy and uh, you were there. So, 
yeah, John, I appreciate it. And as you know, and your listeners likely as well, there was a House Oversight Subcommittee hearing this week that got a lot of attention. The good news is that it probably was the most bipartisan thing that happened in Washington, D.C. this week. But it's clear that there's this intense and enduring public interest in whether there are UFOs or now what they call UAPs, unidentified anomalous phenomenon. And the hearing was very robust with three particular individuals who are separated from the military who have some level of expertise in this area or firsthand accounts of seeing these things that are UAPs. And the hearing was extremely interesting. And uh, certainly the public interest continues. How many years were you in the uh, Air Force and then uh, Space Force? I was in the Air Force for 28 years. I was a fighter pilot and a test pilot, so I saw a lot of things out there in the middle of the desert, none of which I would attribute to being a UFO, but certainly there's a lot of great capability out there in the hands of the Air Force and the Space Force, and that might be part of what people are seeing. Some of the uh, most uh, outstanding things that were talked about was uh, they, they even said that they saw non-humanoids. Now, the way I understand with the UFOs or UAP, see, I'm an old-fashioned guy, I still call them UFOs, is that some of them could have been our own technology, uh, some of them could have been technology that we know nothing about, and some of them could be just phenomenon. Have you ever seen something that looks like came from someplace else? So, John, I have never seen nor have I had a colleague or a friend see something that ultimately couldn't explain. But you're right. There's probably four categories of things that these things could actually be. One of them is the category of things that you could explain in reasonable ways. The second one is selected secret U.S. capability. We do have an extensive black world, which are those things that the public will never know about that are our own capabilities. Category number three, it could be a secret adversary capability. And number four, it could be aliens. And it could be a combination of those things. But I have never seen something, and I don't believe that I ever have seen anything that is credible to suggest that there is actually extraterrestrial activity out there. Well, the joke I've told some of my friends when they said that uh, they saw non- Humanoids, I said, well, they, were they Vulcans or Cleons? <laughs> and I moved on. Uh, what else? You know, there, there's so many problems out there in uh, near space. Uh, lately, we had Dr. Sky, Steve Cates on before, and, and the sun has been acting up and, and even knocked out uh, one of our satellites. Or, uh, I forget whose satellite he said for a while. What do you know about that stuff? Well, so obviously all of these capabilities that we have in space are extremely highly technological and sensitive to some extent, that these are aircraft that are outside or spacecraft that are outside of our orbit now. Uh, And certainly things like solar flares or other types of solar activity can wreak havoc on the things that we have out there. But so can some of our adversaries. And certainly what the Space Force is responsible for is operating in this extremely contested domain that we in America rely upon extensively. And the Space Force is there, of course, to use the domain in a way that is favorable to us, but to protect our capabilities and to make sure that we can take out those capabilities of an adversary that might give them an edge in a conflict. Sunday morning, what else do you want to tell them, the American people? No, No, so John, that's a great question. I think ultimately the world is a contested, dangerous place. And there are adversaries out there, and this isn't pretend, that are real and that would love to do harm to your listeners 
and to Americans and to our allies and partners. And the reason why we have a strong military and the reason that we should appreciate those who continue to serve is that they are deterring activity that would be against our best interest. And ultimately, they're pre- prepared to defeat anything that one of series would do to harm any American. They should be very proud, your listeners, of the type of force that we have. And certainly, we appreciate them and we should pray for them and we should continue to support them because they're doing great work on behalf of humanity and on behalf of the United States of America. General uh, John Tykert, uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. I look forward to talking to you because uh, that uh, expands the mind what's out there and what, what could be someday. John, I always love talking to you. Thanks for having me on again. Congresswoman Kat Kamek from the oh, great... She's one feisty lady. Oh, she sure is. I love her from the great state of Florida. And Congresswoman, great to have you back on the show. You heard my thoughts. Where, where do you think, first off, I want to ask you a lot about border, uh, but where do you think all this is heading with Hunter Biden after the plea deal fell apart? Oh, well, uh, hopefully impeachment for his father, and we throw the book at him. The guy has a rap sheet that goes back to the year that I was born, for Pete's sakes. He got his first drug charge in 1988 and got a sweetheart deal, and they tried everything they could to make sure that the truth about him didn't come out. I'm so glad that all these pieces are starting to fall in place, and the American people and the justice system are going to see exactly who he is and what he's all about. Let's throw the book at him, because what we've seen is a two-tier justice system. That's got to stop. Let's make an example of him. Yeah, how, What do you think, uh, Devin Archer? I think this is going to be pivotal. I mean, the fact that the judge dropped the plea deal and basically, I think, pulled the, you know, pulled the curtains and said, hey, wait a minute, you guys seem to be working together, you Justice Department and Hunter Biden's team. This doesn't seem right. Uh, I, I mean, that to me was a that was an extraordinary moment, Congresswoman Kamek. Absolutely. Think about the fact that the judge had to call back the number of the office that had called in pretending to be part of Chairman Jason Smith's team to withdraw the amicus brief that provided additional evidence of the wrongdoing and the, the obstruction into the investigation into Hunter Biden, because that was relevant to his sentencing. And when you find out that Hunter Biden's lawyers called in pretending to be part of the committee to withdraw the amicus brief tells everyone, not just the judge, not just not just people in, in inner circles in Washington, but the entire nation that they have a lot to hide and that they they are doing everything in their power to make sure that it doesn't come to light because they wouldn't be doing stupid stunts like that if they didn't have something to hide in that amicus brief. So I think this is going to be pretty powerful coming out here in the next few weeks. Congresswoman, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. I I agree with you. And let me make a a couple of points. Number one, this was never about just a legal resolution of an investigation. And number two, it was a political deal from the very beginning. The whole point, the whole point of this it was to shut down the investigation, to shut down the prosecution, to move it away from public scrutiny, and to have Hunter saying, well, I'm just a drug addict. That's my problem. That's what this is about. That's not what this is about. This is about an influence peddling scheme that goes internationally, involves a whole influence 
peddling by various members of the Biden family. I still want to know what the grandchildren did to get uh, millions of dollars. I want to know what the uncles did. People are entitled to know this. And there are real questions whether it impacted on presidential decision-making by this administration. And people are entitled to know that. Absolutely. And the reason why they don't want us to dig deeper is because the more that we uncover, the deeper and stronger the ties are to Joe Biden, which strengthens the case for impeachment because he is compromised. So and, uh, I think you're 100 percent right. And Congresswoman Kat Kamick, uh, Governor David Patterson, the former governor here, has a question. Uh, Congresswoman and, and Your Honor, I'd, I'd like both of you maybe to weigh in on this. Why did they set up the the whole plea deal so that the supervisor, basically, of whether or not a Hunter Biden was keeping his end was the judge. How could you do that? I mean, it's not even it's it's I can't even say what it is. Because, it's called a con. That's what it's called. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's not it's, allowed. You know, I mean, like, right, Congresswoman? No, I mean, honestly, say the quiet part out loud. It's a total con job. <laughs> You know, I mean, they walked in there thinking and then suddenly the judge asked some basic questions like, wait a minute. And then Hunter Biden's team's like, oh, I thought I I got Scott free the night before. Let the American people know what happened with the judge. So and this is crazy. I was actually at dinner with Chairman Jason Smith and a couple of different senators. When this all happened, Chairman Smith got a call saying from his team saying, Someone called in pretending to be part of our team to withdraw the amicus brief from the 15 different whistleblowers that had come forward who had been part of the IRS investigation and they had submitted it to F for evidence. And Jason says, oh, my gosh, that, that's not true. That didn't happen. Call the judge back. So the judge gets they get in touch with the judge and, and say, we didn't withdraw it. And she says, well, then let's find out who did Puts her team on it. They track the phone number that this person called from. Back to Hunter Biden's lawyers. Oh, my someone God. That's a, real yeah. amateurish. To, if you're going to call someone, call from a number. Jesus, can't, call from a black phone. Get the burner yeah. phone. The, yeah. the burner phone. You, you can't the, use a pay the, phone the like the old Beach days. killer knew to, how to do that. <laughs> you know, by exactly. the way. Not, not exactly the brightest bulbs that we're dealing with here, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. You know, Congresswoman, you just said something really interesting. You just said 15 whistleblowers. We're in the amicus uh, brief. Um, We know about Mm -hmm. the two whistleblowers. Who are the other 13? So that is something that is not under my purview and I can't weigh in on. But I will tell you, the amicus brief has all the evidence that really points to what is necessary to understand how far and wide this case is about to be broken. Because there are so many investigators who were told, look the other way, no, you can't have access to this, no, you can't, nope, you can't talk to this person. It's more than just two. Are they IRS or where, you know, are they other IRS agents or who are they? Yeah, this came from the IRS. Um, But it's very telling because even the judge, and we we saw this in the sentencing as the, the, the plea deal fell apart, the judge asked multiple times, are there any other active investigations going on? And after them kind of beating around the bush, they finally said, yes. How can you get a sweetheart plea deal, period? When there's active investigations under going investigation. on. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Wow. And by the way, the other interesting part about a Congresswoman is they were giving blanket immunity. Blanket immunity. Yes. So it wasn't just particular crimes for a particular period, but blanket immunity. That was the attempt to shut down all the influence peddling allegations, the failure to register as a foreign agent, 
and all the other scams that were going on. And not just protect Hunter, because that would connect the dots to his father, too. Exactly. Um, Vito exactly. Fisella, you've got a question. Staten Island Borough President. Yeah, Congresswoman, thanks. Uh, are the political sands shifting in Washington at all, or are the battle lines still uh, Republican and Democrat? Is, or do, you see, do you sense any movement? Well, and, and John has heard me say this before. Uh, in Washington, it's never been Republican versus Democrat. It's always been the party of big government versus little government. And you have a lot of people who are really ingrained in the institution, we'll say. And you have a bunch of new people who have come in and said, this place is rotten to the core. This stinks. And that's where you have kind of the battle lines being drawn. Of the people who are very vocal, I think us coming out and talking about this, uh, it, it encourages others who have maybe been a little bit more timid or reserved to speak out. Uh, they don't want to rock the boat, so so to speak. But how can you ignore what's going on? You have a two-tier justice system. You have the weaponization of the federal government through the IRS, the DOJ, the FBI. Heck, even the USDA, the Department of Agriculture, is using its powers against Americans. It's crazy. And, you know, we start speaking out about this. It can't be ignored. And so... You have a lot of vocal people uncovering this, and it's giving people who have been, like I said, a little bit more reserved, uh, a bit of courage, I'll say, to speak out. Yeah, but it's always been big government versus little government, and I think that's where the the, the lines are being drawn. And uh, real quick, before we let you go, uh, Congresswoman, I know we wanted to ask you about the border real quick. Speaking of stinks, yeah. uh, Mayorkas yesterday, boy, did he stink. Um, and there's now calls for him to be impeached by a number of people in your party. Uh, your thoughts yeah. about that real quick. I've been wanting to impeach Mayorkas uh, going back two years when he lied to my face in the Homeland Security Committee. And not only did we have a hearing on UFOs and have my orcas in yesterday in Homeland Security and or I'm sorry, Judiciary, but in Energy and Commerce, Secretary Becerra, Health and Human Services, he came before my committee and told us that they cannot account for the 85,000 migrant children that they have lost, 360,000 unaccompanied children, and they've lost 85,000 of them Horrible. to figure out where they are. Uh, wow. Horrible. Now, you're still in the UFO committee? No, I'm not. I'm not handling UFOs. Uh, there's enough weird people in Washington. I don't need to discover aliens on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> we agree. Congresswoman, you got to come back on. We love you. That, thank you very much. And we'll c- catch up again real soon. All right. Have a good one. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, Go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. With us today is Steve Forbes from the famous Forbes Empire. I mean, uh, it is worldwide. Steve, what is going on in the economy? A lot of Americans, a lot of people don't know if they should zig or zag. So you've been in it forever. Your family's been in it forever. What do you think the situation is? Well, the situation is that we still have a sluggish economy, even though the second quarter came in above uh, expectations. 2.4% is still pretty punk. It's like a baseball player hitting 220 when he should be hitting 320. And unfortunately, there's some headwinds out there. The Federal Reserve still believes that you fight inflation by depressing the economy. You have an administration in Washington that's determined to turn us into a socialist version of Europe. 
piling on regulations. Anything that you enjoy, they want to get rid of. They're now attacking a, a water, a hot water heaters, portable uh, dispensers. Uh, they're doing every. They're 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 after shower heads. They're after uh, water heaters. They're after uh, generators. Uh, they're after refrigerators, washing machines, ref- anything that makes uh, vacuum cleaners, anything that makes life good. They want to uh, do away with with regulation. On gas stoves, for example, they when they proposed banning gas stoves a few months ago, they got such flack for it. They said, oh, no, 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 we don't want to ban gas stoves. But the energy department comes out with regulations that would make 96% of the gas stoves in existence today illegal. So they do it by regulation. They don't formally ban these things. They do it by regulation. So the economy is going to be facing these headwinds. You have a government that is still intent on a lot of spending, and uh, you have uh, the government also, in terms of uh, foreign policy, creating a, a very much of an unstable world. So in terms of zigging and zagging, I think uh, American people feel that they have uh, fallen behind in the last two and a half years, and they don't see a clear path forward of getting really having things get better. It's very well said, especially, I mean, uh, there's so many areas. Uh, they're trying to change the world with fossil fuels. They're trying to change the world uh, with uh, electric cars. The other day, in a very little-known ruling, I think the Supreme Court voted on on a pipeline that was 95% uh, going forward, and then they, uh, they, some appeals court stopped it, and the Supreme Court voted that they should finish that pipeline. Did you hear about that one yet? Yes, and I think uh, the Supreme Court is going to be more and more coming to our rescue from this uh, regulatory regime of terror. A couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, they ruled in a case called West Virginia versus the EPA that uh, these independent agencies cannot put in rules that have a significant impact on the economy without the express approval of Congress. As you know, Congress passes, what, 140, 150 laws a year, and uh, these regulatory agencies pass the equivalent of laws, have the federal government behind them, three to 4,000 a year. And you mentioned uh, this whole thing on so-called alternative energies, renewable energies. Uh, somebody was just telling me that if you wanted to turn all of New York City relying on just uh, the windmills and sun, sunlight. Solar, yeah, solar cells. It's, it can't work. So it won't solar work. cells. You know, you, know, you know what they'd have to do to get uh, just, just to s- supply New York City with all of that? They'd need to rip up 2 million acres of land to have those windmills. You know, those uh, typical windmills they have, put one up, you have to dig a hole 30 feet deep and fill it with and concrete. That's, and that's what's killing the whales in the oceans when they... Uh, yes, when they're sir. exploding everything uh, to create those windmill situations. So wh- what do the environmentalists think about killing all those whales? And uh, It's just mind-boggling. Well, this is all about the dirty little secret is the green movement is about green dollars. That's not just so much to save the environment as to enrich themselves with projects that never would see the light of day in the private sector. And take 100-megawatt uh, gas-powered plant, which supplies electricity to 75,000 homes, you take, you'd get the equivalent of a wind farm. You'd need not just a, a, a plant the size of a residential house. You'd need 20, you need 10, 20, 10 square miles of land, 20 of those big wind turbines, each taller than the Washington Monument. Each, and to build that wind farm, you need 50,000 tons of concrete, 30,000 tons of iron ore, and 900 tons of unrecyclable plastic. 
And they also don't tell you is that each of those uh, wind turbines has thousands of gallons of uh, liquid to make them run. They, they need liquids to run. So uh, those things leak all the time. They don't tell you that about how ruinous these things are for the environment. And they don't tell you that they kill tens of thousands of birds that just yes, walk sir. into them or run into them. Now, the yes. other interesting situation and you know, is— the other thing is they don't have to file environmental statements. You know, As you know, in the energy business, you want to do anything in oil or gas, you have to have environmental statements and studies coming out the gazoo. If you put up one of these wind farms or solar panel uh, things, you don't have to do an environmental impact statement because it's green. They waive it. Agreed. And, you know, some of the states are out there trying to do SMRs, uh, uh, small modular reactors, and that runs on uranium and whatever. I understand the White House has moved to get rid of all uranium from the United States. I don't know if you've heard that one. No, well, they uh, no, not that specific, but I do know that they're trying to make it impossible to uh, get uranium, which is the same thing. And uh, you, you know the other day what they did in the Gulf of Mexico. What they do is they get their extremist environmental friends to file a lawsuit, and then they settle the lawsuit, the fake lawsuit. So in the Gulf of Mexico now, uh, they just put in restrictions that are make it, almost make it impossible to drill for oil in the Gulf of Mexico. And they just raise fees for drilling on federal lands, which means the drilling's not going to get done. It's insane. Insane. Steve Forbes, I want to thank you for telling the American people the truth. And we all stand for truth, justice in the American way. And I don't want, I, I want our country to continue in, in that direction. Thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning. Well, thank you. And that's why the 2024 election is so important. We've got to uh, stop these fanatics. I agree with you 100 uh, percent because we don't want to be turned into Venezuela. No. <laughs> Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Steve Forbes. Thank you, John. Take care. With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos. It is very hot out, no matter where you are. Dr. Michalos, uh, let me ask you, how do we survive this heat? Well, one of the most important things is people don't realize that there are many deaths uh, around the United States and the world from something called heat stroke. And we're not really designed to live in places like Arizona where it goes to 110 degrees. And without the artificial climate environment, by the great invention of air conditioning, humans wouldn't survive too well in those areas. And heat stroke, what happens is we become dehydrated because our cooling mechanism is that we sweat to evaporate fluid off the surface of our skin to cool our bodies down. But there's a limit to that and also a limit to how much water we have in our body to extract. So we become very dehydrated very quickly and we start getting headaches, cramps. We can become disoriented, eventually pass out. You can actually die and that's why it's so important, especially in the heat, never to leave pets or animals and of course children in cars, even when the windows are open, temperatures inside a car can go up to 120 degrees. So we tell people that they need to drink more fluids. One of the reasons people get more heart attacks and strokes when they're out playing tennis or playing golf or when they're inside these areas that are very hot is that when you become dehydrated, your blood starts thickening up and it becomes like thicker, like half and half and like honey. And that's when you get more heart attacks and strokes because things clog up. And that's why when you drink more fluid, your blood runs like skim milk and it actually helps to prevent heart attacks and strokes. You can have the best cholesterol level in the world, but if your blood is sludging because it's totally dehydrated, it puts you at higher risk 
to some of these conditions. So we encourage our people to please hydrate in the summer and try to drink things that have even some electrolytes, like for example, iced tea is a great summer drink. Uh, Unsweetened, of course, is better because we've talked about the ills of of having uh, too much sugar and also, you know, stay out of the sun, wear hats with a brim and people forget, even little kids. We now know ultraviolet radiation is cumulative over a lifetime. Even on children start having them in the habit of wearing sunglasses to protect their eyes because that slows down long-term formation of cataracts and other problems. And of course, put SPF sunscreen on them, preferably those with more natural ingredients because we now know ultraviolet radiation is cumulative and can result in squamous cells, basal cells, melanomas, which are skin cancers. There are things that we can do, but hydration, stay in the shade for older people, especially those with heart or lung conditions. Try to stay in environments that are much cooler and more comfortable because when people have heat stroke, their temperature goes as high as 103 degrees. And in some emergency rooms, they even have to put them in cooling blankets and ice blankets just to bring their temperature down. You can end up being in the hospital for two days. And after you have heat stroke, it could take sometimes up to two months from your body to recover because the body and the brain do not like to be dehydrated. So please protect yourselves in the summer. Stay cool, stay hydrated, and extreme heat. Doctor, it's, uh, when, when it gets that hot out, I guess water is the best bet. Uh, drink plenty of uh, water and uh, plenty of fluids uh, to, to allow you to sweat things out. And what's the maximum, even if you go in the pool and you feel cool, but the sun is beating down on you, what do you think there should be the maximum amount of time you should spend outdoors in the sun? Well, I would avoid between the peak hours of the sun, between noon and 3 p.m. That's when we have solar maximum, and that is the worst time to be in. And just because you're in the pool and your lower body, is the problem is that a lot of our heat is in our brain. Our brain does not like to be heated up. So on the skull and the brain and the head and neck, which are a big portion of our body and very metabolically active, when they heat up, it confuses the body because your lower part might be in the water, but your upper part is being heated up and your brain is basically boiling. And that's what happens when we get heat and confusion. And that's why some people actually get epileptic seizures, like children who have very high fevers. The brain does not like high temperatures. So stay cool. Keep listening for more health tips on how to stay alive and stay healthy. And uh, we've got to get through this uh, warm season. And if you're out there in the sun and you, and you feel like you're starting to get a headache or something, is that uh, from your brain starting to get over, uh, over hot? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the warning signs. When you start getting a little bit confused, you start feeling warm, you start feeling muscle cramps in your legs, and you can even feel nauseous because it affects your stomach. Blood is shifting around, trying to go to your skin and leaving your abdomen, and you basically are trying to turn on the radiator and dilate the blood vessels. And the other thing, you have to be very careful in the summer when you're on blood pressure medicine, check your blood pressure, because the high temperatures cause your vessels to dilate and your blood pressure is down. I was recently talking to to one of the uh, internists and we were discussing how in the summer they sometimes reduce the blood pressure medicine of their patients because when they're living in a hot climate in the summer sometimes you need less blood pressure medicine than you normally would i was reading an article the other day where it says papaya is very good for you because it has certain ingredients that uh, reduce your uh, cholesterol have you heard that 
Yeah, well, there are, but those are some of the smaller studies. What papaya is used mostly for in papaya enzymes is that it's found to be a, a digestion enhancer, and it helps people sometimes with upset stomach, and it's a more natural alternative to things that uh, like acid reducers and other uh, over-the-counter and prescription H2 blockers. Sometimes people start off taking a papaya enzyme to help them with better digestion, but of course, ask your doctor and consult with them before you try uh, anything, but it is in the literature and it is being used for digestive issues. But as far as lowering the cholesterol, there aren't any really large studies. You know, some of these studies where they say they just looked at 10 or 20 people and they said they got better. But we like to see trials where at least always ask N, what is the number of people? And a study has to have at least a thousand people to have any significance that we can actually get some actionable data and turn it into advice that we can give patients. Well, Dr. Peter Michalos, uh, stay cool. Thank you so much for updating uh, all Americans, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you. Stay cool, stay hydrated, and keep listening to where we get the truth out every week. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is Mario Economo, a uh, retired uh, banker from New York, London, Zurich, and other money center banks. How hot is it in Europe? Is it still hot, uh, Mario? Yes, good morning, Cats Roundtable. Uh, it is warm, but it's not as warm as it was. It's dropped from about 120 degrees in the south of Europe to somewhere around 100 degrees. So it's still very warm, but it's nothing like it was. The winds are very strong, and this, of course, is having a negative impact on numerous forest fires that continue to burn throughout the south of Europe. They're pretty extensive, and unfortunately, we've seen the destruction of thousands of acres of land and also herds of animals, livestock, goats, sheep, cows. So the reality is this will have an impact as well on the food process because we're going to see a, an increase in the price for milk, an increase in the price for cheese across Europe, which of course is not going to help inflation, uh, which brings us to the fact that the ECB, the European Central Bank, earlier this week and a day after the U.S. Federal Reserve raised rates, the ECB also raised rates. However, now the ECB is deciding that it may have to pause to see if, in fact, all these rate increases will have a positive impact on bringing inflation down. They're also facing another problem, which is many people in Europe and specifically some senators in Italy have now actually openly complained that the ECB is following the wrong path by continuing to increase interest rates, which is only going to have a detrimental effect on local economies. I think it's going to have a very detrimental effect, and I've said that about Chairman Powell, that it's going to hurt the United States of America too. It, it could cause a recession versus causing a, a growth in both European and American communities. Thank you for saying that, Mario. What else? Uh, yes, in fact, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, did say that Germany will be the only G7 country this year to suffer a contraction, and I suspect a lot of that has to do with the fact that interest rates keep going up and they're starting to create tremendous havoc in industry, uh, not to mention the fact that the high energy prices, which we've now seen also the price of oil slowly starting to climb back up, are having a negative impact on Germany. If we can just move to another uh, point, which is the recent visit by the Italian Prime Minister with President Biden in the United States. The Italian Prime Minister, uh, Italy, will be assuming the presidency of the G7 next year, and it looks more likely than not that they will not be renewing their membership in China's Belt and Road Initiative. This is something America wanted. 
it looks like the Prime Minister of Italy, Ms. Maloney, is not going to renew the membership in that. However, she will continue to have trade relations with China. One interesting point, the whole issue of LGBTQ rights did not come up. We know that the Biden administration strongly supports this, and we know that she strongly opposes this. So uh, the issue was not, according to her, the issue was not raised in any of the discussions or meetings. Well, in my discussion with a lot of the gay community, uh, the gay community, keep, you know, feels that they should be considered separately from the LGBTQ crowd. Uh, and I don't know why everybody's mixing the two. What else, Mario? Let's talk about Russia. In St. Petersburg, Russia is hosting a conference for African nations. They were hoping for a good turnout of over 40 uh, participants like they had at the last one. I believe it was in 2019. Unfortunately for them, just under 20 countries have shown up. However, that being said, President Putin is there and he has promised these countries that he will provide them with free wheat. This is because they are concerned about the fact that Russia pulled out of the grain agreement and they're very concerned that they're going to run into issues with respect to feeding their people. He gave them strong assurances that this would not be the case and that he would continue supplying grain. We should also point out that at this conference, Mr. Prigozhin was present. He he is the gentleman that was running the Wagner Group, that we heard there was uh, rebellion in the making and that he was on his way to Moscow. And then at the last moment, he stopped his his, uh, various military soldiers from going into Moscow, and they actually moved into into Belarus. Now, a lot of people think and are starting to question if, in fact, this was a real coup attempt or if, in fact, this was just an attempt by President Putin working with his very close friend, Mr. Pogosin, to actually see if there are any spies or any traitors within the military ranks in Russia. And they caught one Russian general. I understand that Putin uh, caught him or asked him to commit suicide. Do you remember the name of the general? Well, I know the general you're referring to, and he is the general that was actually responsible for the massive bombing campaign in Syria and the destruction of numerous cities there. I don't know what's happened to him. I don't think anybody really knows. But we do know this, that there is no way, it's very difficult to believe that Prigozhin would be at an event with President Putin in St. Petersburg, in the same building, at the same time, if in fact there was genuine bad blood. I told uh, I told Admiral Stavridis that, that it was a, a ploy between Prigozhin and Putin to find out which of his generals would go along with a possible coup, and I guess I was right, and I think I told a former Secretary of State, too. Yeah, I think this was also another move that President Putin did, along with Prigozhin, to provide a pretext for the Wagner Group to make its way into Belarus, where they currently are, and they're training. And the idea behind that is, and we've seen a lot of media covering this topic, that if President Putin decides to make a move on what's called the Suwalki Gap, he's going to be able to use the Wagner Group to secure that road and essentially split the Baltic states away from the rest of NATO. Do I think he's going to do it? No, I do not, because I think he realizes if he tries to do that, he will actually have a war in his hands between NATO and Russia, and a war like that is essentially unwinnable by either side. So I Absolutely don't think correct. he's going to go ahead and do that. 
One more thing. What else? One more thing before we close. The Russian Defense Minister Shoigu was recently in North Korea, and he met with North Korea's Premier Kim Jong-un. He had a huge, huge welcome, massive parade, and Kim Jong-un showed him his latest intercontinental ballistic missiles, as well as numerous high-tech drones that North Korea has, and they discussed their friendship and their commitment to work and help each other. So I think that that's something that the U.S. is going to need to look at very carefully, and as, as well as Europe for that matter, and they're going to have to see what can be done to prevent these two countries from actually getting closer together in defense terms, because that would provide a very big headache for the U.S. Agree another 100%. Mario Konamu, thank you so much for calling in and bringing everybody up to date, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.